All right, well, welcome to the Easy Peasy Podcast, y'all. I've got Luke and Brittany in the house. Uh, everybody, hi. say hi. Hello. <laughs> so uh, Luke and Brittany rode over on their uh, on their motorcycle. It's actually Brittany's motorcycle, uh, although Luke has one too, and they're both pretty sweet. Um, Hers was gassed up. I didn't have to. I didn't want to be late for you. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, eight o'clock. I was afraid it might be too late for you. Um, but it worked out. I'm glad we got it, got it, got it done. Um, welcome to the easy peasy shop. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Now Luke is a published poet, uh, based here in Indianapolis. He actually just handed me a, a copy of low shelf angles. This is your last published, or I'm sorry, low shelf angels, uh, dyslexia, I guess. (laughs) But, um, yeah, you said this is your last published work, yes? Of poetry, yeah. Okay. Um, there was a book after that. It was a memoir about my relationship with my dad uh, called Love is the Middle. But that's the last full-length book of poetry. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, right on. Yeah, and we didn't really meet that long ago. It's funny because I, I started this whole, I'm calling this interview series, Three Beers Deep. Mm-hmm. Um you probably saw that, but basically the idea I had this with a friend uh, a couple of years back was that like, seems like every time we get chatting, it was about the third beer that things started getting really, really juicy. Right. Mm-hmm. So that name kind of stuck that those were like our three beers deep conversations. You know, they're probably not as deep as we imagined ourselves to, to think. But, uh, point is I, I kind of liked the idea and I wanted to always like be interviewing interesting people that, that mm-hmm. was always kind of a goal of this podcast and uh, basically, the first guy I interviewed is a buddy from childhood that that is a firefighter, and that went really good. And then the second one was a guy that I had absolutely never met in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, we had known each other about forty minutes before I put him on the microphone. And you're kind of halfway in between, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess you could split the difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I met you last summer, uh, kind of randomly uh, on Fountain Square. On Fountain Square, it's one yeah. of those warm summer nights, and. Mm-hmm. Everybody was just kind of hanging out at the square. I think everybody was kind of like getting out of the house for the first time. It was, you know, breaking lockdown a little bit and bars were, well, bars were starting to open back up and all that. Um, But, Doc, sorry about that, (laughs) y'all. Good start. Uh, But no, I mean, it was just, I remember when we met, it was kind of like, I just thought you were an interesting cat. You said you wrote. I told you I did a little bit of writing. And, you know, we've kind of, like, kept up on Instagram ever since. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the backstory. Now, I see Luke waiting patiently. He's being good with his cigarette. He is a much more um, self-controlling kind of guy that he he sets a limit. Tell us about your rule of cigarettes. So, well, which Britt could probably um, attest to this, but... Very little that I do is just by happenstance. Um, And so uh, I've always kind of, I mean, smoked, you know, cigars and pipes, not heavily at all. But my grandpa, my dad smoked cigars. I always thought pipes were really cool. So from my teens, I smoked a little bit cigars and pipes Mm -hmm. and have my entire life. But I never really got into cigarettes, um, never, you know, got hooked on cigarettes. About the only time I'd really smoked cigarettes was when I was a driver out of town moving furniture and I get super tired because I didn't smoke nicotine would really wake me up. So I might have one or two on a rare, rare occasion, 
but and then I was also in the home medical industry for some years. Uh, this I know this is a long answer, but this is no, go on. Yeah, um, in my twenties, we got all night. And so yes, I know that cigarettes are not good for people and all these kinds of things. But there's a lot of things that aren't good for people, and there's a lot of things that are good for people. Um, and uh, you also don't know ultimately what's going to take you out, so you can't play things too close to the vest, in my opinion. Uh, Got to have a little fun. So my long game was. By the time most people are trying to quit cigarettes when they turn approximately 40, and they've been smoking for like 20 years, they started when they were 16, 20, 21 in college, whatever, and have been burning a half pa- or a pack, pack and a half a day, I just started smoking three cigarettes a day when I was about 40 years old, hmm. um, and uh, which I did start with two, and I think. We dialogued on this maybe some months ago because I wrote a little poem about it. Yeah. I started with two because I was like, what's the minimum I, I think I could smoke and enjoy and then have something to look forward to because... Without getting hooked, basically. Is that the idea? Or just yeah. ultimate ultimate moderation, just minimum? Well, it's less about moderation, um, although I'm a huge fan of moderation, even mm-hmm. to the point of keeping one's moderation in moderation. Mm-hmm. Um so it's not like an ethical rule. It's not, it's just 100% subjective what I want to do. And that's to smoke the least amount of cigarettes that work. I won't get addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, like I'll occasionally take a day or two off or whatever. But, um, but two, and this is as a writer, I very much noticed there was no like beginning, middle and end to my day with the cigarettes. So then I added a third after some months, and that's been the perfect amount. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, um, and another reason why it works well for me is I've worked for myself for like 13 years. Mm. Um, and so I have a ton of flexibility. I haven't had a boss since I was 32. I'm 43 now. Um, or no, I'm sorry, since I was 30. Um, and uh, so I'm at lucky number 13 <laughs> as an entrepreneur now. Um, so... It's something that I have to do and put thought into, like, because I can only smoke three and it's not like a moving like three ish. I never, a single time. Never have, two, never four. No, I, I've never smoked more than three. Okay. Fair well, enough. I can smoke less. Yeah. Sure. Sometimes it's zero. Sure. Um, so it's not a have to thing. I just never smoke more than three. Sure. Um, and even on a few days that were some of the worst days of my entire life, I want to just burn a pack. I want to be like, this is so shitty. Like, give yourself one day, like, fuck the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't. I was like, well, if you start moving your goalposts, you're going to, like, find more reasons to do it, you know? Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I have to think about when I'm going to smoke, like today. Mm-hmm. I normally smoke one, like, late morning, another one kind of later afternoon, and then another one, like, mid-evening. But I was like, well, I want to smoke one during the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I push number two late. Yeah, because I want to be able to smoke number three at Waffle House and we leave. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to think about it. Like, it's a very purposeful thing for me. It's meditative. And when I think people are like really addicted to cigarettes, which you know everyone's got their shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's like another cigarette. I never smoke a cigarette I don't enjoy, start sure. to finish. Sure. So like, it's just a thing of balance for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, so. Well, I say let's light up. Yeah. (laughs) Cheers. Uh, I'm going to smoke something with a little something else in there. I hope you don't got, I hope you guys don't mind. No, I don't mind. (laughs) 
But Luke was, uh, he was generous enough. He gave me one of his handmade cigarettes. This is, um, this is your creation. Yes. I mean, well, I mean, I didn't grow the tobacco. I I was going to say that exact thing, but yeah, you did. You manufactured it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have like a handful of, of favorite cigarettes, just like I'm, I'm kind of a coffee shop rambler. I mean, I go to certain diners, but I I have no allegiance to any particular one Mm -hmm. because I love to write in public. Um, I don't have like one cigarette that's just mine. But my favorite, if I have to have a go-to, is Camel Filters, hmm. which is a Turkish blend. So this is a um, technically a pipe tobacco, so there's no cigarette tax on it. Hmm. And uh, loopholes, I love it. Um, so this now this is one thing that I would definitely now if a person's you know like a heavy cigarette smoker, the healthiest thing would be to dial it back, right? Yeah. But or stop, obviously. Or, or stop, sure, yeah. whatever. It's your business. Yeah. But if you're smoking. And you're smoking like a pack a day, cigs are in this area like seven dollars ish, you know, mm-hmm. a pack mm-hmm. times thirty. It's a lot um, of money for about what it costs to buy two packs of cigarettes. You can roll your own for a month. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of do both. I buy packs and mm-hmm. I buy rollies. I'm kind of a high. I, I, I like good quality shit myself. So yeah. I, I smoke Danish export when it when it comes to my spliffs. Mm-hmm. And then I'm a American spirit guys, you know, for the, uh, for the convenience factor, but sure. you know, tobacco gets such a bad rap and I think, um, people are starting to be a little less judgy, but I try my best kind of not to get caught smoking just by anybody hardly. Yeah. And, uh, like a lot of energy almost goes into that kind of mm-hmm. like hiding, hiding it. And, um, it's almost just like, I wish people could get over it and you're looking for an ashtray, aren't you? Yeah. I don't want to like, toss on the floor. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. There we go. But you know, it's kind of like I I find that tobacco has a very grounding effect. Um, like there's a reason people enjoy it so much. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, we probably shouldn't heart or just stay on the tobacco topic all fucking night. But it's just an interesting. I like the ritualistic nature of it, mm-hmm. and I think you fully sort of embrace that yeah. and honor it. And it's always been a pretty ceremonial kind of plant mm-hmm. um, for people. You know, I'm always interested in sort of what things used used to be like, and uh, obviously there's a rich history of using tobacco in ceremony. You know, I think uh, I'll admit I smoke probably more than I ought to, mm-hmm. but uh, I I think it's just one of these things like anything else. It's it's not all bad. It's not all good. It's it's something that people do. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the way my dad says uh, his one of his go to lines is that. He's convinced living is hazardous to your health, you know, like, mm-hmm. of course there's risk no matter every time you go out your front door, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we're not saying anything too groundbreaking here, but it's, you know, it's just interesting to note tobacco use, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked a bit about mushrooms and cannabis, <clears throat> haven't really addressed tobacco on this podcast, yeah. but you know, like, like cannabis, like mushrooms, these are things that come out of the earth. So can't really pretend they don't exist and especially if i'm an open and active user um might as well just address it right you're sure. kind of a, you're, you're a good guy to do that with mm-hmm. i respect what you do with tobacco and i'm, I'm thinking i might try to emulate you mm-hmm. at some point yeah. <laughs> um but let's get into sort of your writing career and i'm curious sort of do you make money writing do you make <clears throat> much um is that your main income Mm-mm. um all that yeah no so I guess the most nutshell version, um, career would be, uh, not inappropriate because I do sell books, 
you know, I write professionally and I have since my twenties. Um, and not only poetry, other things too, singer songwriter. Um, I guess probably in this area, that's what I'm, I mean, central Indiana, what I'm as known for as anything is, uh, you know, playing original music. But from the time I was an extremely young child, um, I was always a poet at heart. I always, I mean, I wrote, um, the next book out, um, is called mixed fruit, jelly and razor blades. That's one I was working on even today. It's say that one more time, mixed fruit, jelly and razor blades. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and that one is like the light at the end of the tunnel to being published, Mm. um, which will be this year, uh, very soon. And then already functionally done is uh, a book called Scribblings from the Now and Here. And that is uh, samplings from the very first poem I ever wrote that I have recorded still on paper. I think hmm. I was five, yeah. five. Um, and then it just goes chronologically through my entire life. Uh, <clears throat> I don't remember how many, I think it's somewhere around like 50 maybe poems or something like that. But it's a sampling of from when I was five years old to this year. Wow. Um, cool. Very cool. But, uh, but anyway, so poetry for me, when I started writing um, consistently and never stopped, I mean, I always, always wrote, but when it was like an every week thing, say, at least, um, can I mean, daily, you know, at certain tilts, but, um, but at least every week I was probably like 24-ish, something like that. Um, and it was very much a method of journaling mm. that I enjoyed. You know, it's like a way of collecting memories and, and writing almost like, you know, you would see the scene or, <clears throat> I mean, it could be like an actual scene, uh, like you would take a picture of it in a thankful way, you know, not a contrived scene, not on a set, but like you see something you're moved by and you take a picture and you're thankful because you didn't create it. You're only there to capture it. Um, so sometimes, you know, the poetry is, is like that. It's about something I see, but other things are about things that I feel or someone I'm talking to or just observing feels or conversations of strangers, you know, whatever. Um, and, am I, uh, am I hearing you right? And that you're almost with your poems, you're trying to capture just a specific moment in your life, like, or in somebody else's. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it could be a memory. It could be a, one that I typed up today was from a dream, mm-hmm. um, and the dream spilled over into a real situation and, and then had a certain eerie prophetic thing two years later. Or a year well, later. I like that. I like that idea of poetry as a journaling mechanism, that, wow. but the way you explained it is, you know, it's, 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 there's more to it than just journaling. It's, it's obviously poetry. You don't have to follow any rules. So no, I imagine that might've been what appealed to you at a young age, the lack of structure. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it was always a, a kind of a form of, I would say rebellion, um, a, a quiet rebellion. Uh, I very much didn't fit in with normal scholastic training in school. Hmm. Um, although I was social, you know, I, I had friends and things like that. Um, I, I didn't fit the mold and very early, as early as first grade, I kind of saw through the bullshit of a lot of things. Though there are good yeah. teachers, um, and a few teachers were extremely encouraging to my writing and, and one in particular music, uh, in high school. Um, but writing poetry is something I would have always done and would do now if I never published anything. 
it's something I don't have an off switch for. Um, and it's inherently me. And I, w I would say in all things, I'm a poet first. Um, because I think there's kind of two, if you, if you were to create a dichotomy of what is the, what is the reason people write poetry? I hope it wouldn't be for a career because you're probably going to be broke the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of wealthy poets. No, no, no. Um, so you kind of have to do other things too. Yeah. Um, but there are those who have what you might call like an unction. Like you have to put pen to paper. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, if it's, you know, you're so moved in a moment, it's like, where, you know, here's a fucking placemat, you know, let me borrow a pen from the waitress right. and write this down. Right. And then there are people that are like, I like reading poetry. I want to write poetry. Now is part of that for you also feeling the need to share it or you said you would do it even if you never published, but you, but you did publish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that's about? Um, I mean, I, th for me, I can't speak for anyone else. I mean, if something moved you and was impactful to you, it, I think it's only natural to want to share it. Mm. You know, like if you and I are buddies, which I think we are. Yeah. And it's like, it's I only have, the second time I've been in the same space, but yeah. I, you know, I consider you a friend. Yeah. But we go back and forth. Like if you, let me put it this, this is what I consider a buddy. If you called me at midnight mm -hmm. and you had a flat and you needed someone to help, if I would come, you're a buddy of mine. Yeah. 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 Um, that's kind of like my little weird litmus test. Sure. Well, it's a good one. It's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, if, <laughs> if you're willing to make some kind of sacrifice for a person, even if it's for an hour or two, when it's pain in the ass, maybe it's raining. That's, I think that's a buddy. Yeah. You know, you yeah. gotta be a really good friend to help them move, but mm -hmm. well, I used to, to be a buddy, a you'll yeah. change a tire. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. I get you. I got yeah. a lot of poems from the road back in the day, but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just like the cigarette, it's like, hey, this is a good cigarette. I want to give you one, mm -hmm. you know, because you're a buddy. It's you're, like, you're you know, a share. Yeah, you're if, a share. If something moved yeah. me, I want to, you know, if somebody else and if, you know, um, and, and you put a lot of effort into that. I mean, in a book that costs $15, say, which is, I think is the price of that one I gave you on Amazon. There's thousands of hours in that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. between the writing, the living, the, and then the actual publishing, which I very much enjoy. Um and uh, working on the stuff and the formatting, I always do pretty much all my own cover art and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and I enjoy the whole process start to finish. Well, I think it's interesting, um, you know, sort of the reason I ask the questions the way I do is because I'm, I'm curious for my own sake, excuse me, slipping around on the wire underneath me here, but um, I'm curious for my own sake because I very much felt that sense of what do you call it? The, the the urge to put pen to paper. You unction, get the yeah. Unction. Mm -hmm. It's a new word for me. Yeah. Well, that's that's a holdover from when I was a preacher back in my younger days. Oh, interesting. We might have to go down that rabbit hole soon. But <clears throat> I felt the unction, you know. And uh, I think I alarmed a few people. You know, I started writing a lot using my Instagram stories, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit overboard at times, I'm sure. But it was. Um, it was cathartic in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, I have no regrets. I might have said things at times that, you know, if I could go back in time, maybe I'd take that back. But, you know, it's kind of like you said, I I just felt so much in that in the moment. And you can maybe surmise that this was during the craziness of last summer. Right. Mm -hmm. 
I actually was trying to remember remember if I met you sort of before or after all of this. Because I think it was after the riots, but I, I was still in these throes of writing when I met you. And I think yeah. you might have observed, observed sort of the tail end of it mm-hmm. as it wound down. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so the scene being set, we were on the... Uh, um, right there on the square by the fountain in Fountain Square. I was hanging out with my brother, his yeah. girlfriend. Who I will I will say is a really cool dude, yeah. your brother. And mm-hmm. I found that it was funny to watch the two of you because you were clearly brothers. But <laughs> it was like you had very, very, very different personalities. Yeah, we do. But yeah. there was a shared personality. Mm-hmm. that Like it was this third thing yeah. that was impossible to ignore. Yeah, It's pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, I didn't want to cut you off there no so i think you and he were actually bullshitting first and then i think i was brought in to teach you how to do a rear naked jujitsu choke we were learning <laughs> jujitsu yeah we were we were drunk ish yeah. i wasn't drunk at that point you weren't okay no, well but, i think i think brother was, yeah. i think your brother was yeah, i'm pretty was, sure i was yeah. <laughs> and we were doing a self a impromptu self-defense class yeah in the middle of fountain square it was yeah. pretty fucking cool yeah. <laughs> so so we the first time we met we embraced yeah but that was because i was letting you choke me out until i had to tap uh-huh based on my my instruction yeah, it's funny because i i kind of wanted to give you a hug when you showed up and mm-hmm. i never did but yeah. like you know it, that, like we've already been there right <laughs> yeah yeah that's where it started that's where it all started um but yeah i mean i remember bullshitting about like jujitsu uh like Self-defense, concealed carry, plants a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. motorcycles. You know, we ran the gamut for about an hour. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, followed each other on Instagram, which I... You're one of the people that always pops up at the top of my stories because I always look at your stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I've you know, I've appreciated what you do and your spirit towards things. Um, and, and I think that's one thing with people, even when they're in kind of like different veins of industry or vocation or hobbies or what have you that kind of uh creative humanistic rebellious freedom spirit Mm. it's like that's where the venn diagrams overlap yeah and it's you know so in that uh in that sphere was kind of like where we met each other and then i think in our social media interaction because i i would venture to say if we scroll back for the last year on Instagram, it's like we comment about at least once a week or yeah, send, yeah. send and, something to one another. You know what? Because we're know. always vibing on the same kind of shit, man. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You yeah. Know. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's that, the origin story. That's the origin. Yeah. The origin of this conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah, good intro. Fucking A, man. So clearly, like, God, I just I feel like I want to respond to everything you just said, but I can't. Because it's so, it was just perfect. You nailed it. <laughs> but I like what you're talking about, about how there's this Venn diagram of sort of um, personality or interest or whatever it is. And like I've said before that I've, I, it just astonishes me that some people don't have friends with like vastly different opinions as them. Mm-hmm. But I know that's a lot of times the case. People tend to live near people that have similar opinions. Mm-hmm. They associate with people. But like, Maybe it's because I have weird opinions or whatever, but I've always just made friends in all these different groups. No problem. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have friends that, excuse me, are what you might consider like, you know, 
Trumpers, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, out people I met in the desert of Utah that are hardcore Republican, like, you know, toe the line, but great fucking people yeah. and vice versa. You know, people sure. in California, like use your imagination. But like, wh- why do you think not everybody can like jive? <laughs> you know, um, I think some people jive and some people can't. Yeah. I mean, I'm so... Is that too big a question? No, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, I never liked the microphone anyway. I got a pretty fucked up setup here. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry guys, I'm not trying to blow out your eardrums. No, this is, this is, the, this is the podcast origin story, mm. you know? Like, and that, that was one thing I was going to encourage you before I answer your question, by the way, because that just fell off your table. Yeah. Um, one of the most enjoyable albums I ever made was when I did 100% of the recording by myself in an old church mm. with a mic'd 1967 Fender 4-channel tube head into a cassette tape player because mm. I didn't have CD. I took the cassette tape to a buddy who had a CD recorder, played the tracks in individually, did all this kind of stuff, did the album art, all this kind of shit. I had oodles of effort into it but like less than a hundred dollars if you don't take into consideration what my instruments cost you know that i used sure and uh and that got radio play no shit but it was the most on indie radio but it was the most ramshackle you know uh thing from a technical but i used what i had you used what you had yeah Yeah, and and you're using what you have you know And, and there's not only i think is there no shame in that there's I'm not going to say like arrogance or pride, but well, definitely not arrogance. There should be an empowerment in that, that you're using what you have here. And then at some point, a few months down the road, you're going to find a clearance sale at some place on like a, a, a bitchin uh, condenser microphone. And that's mm-hmm. going to like revolutionize your sound. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, how did I ever not have this microphone? Mm-hmm. And then later on, you're going to have like soundproofing. You know, that's, that's how it'll go. But this is where you, I, well, not where you start. This is where you are right now. Like you're Fuck at yeah. the start, and that's <laughs> like that's the magic hour. Yeah, man. You like know? what? What else can you do? You know? Yeah. I um, when I started Easy Peasy, you know, the Garden Solutions. Uh, I, I I I didn't have much then either. I had a pickup truck and I bought <clears> the <throat> basics, but like I don't think I had more than a thousand bucks into tools. I talked about this just the other day. It's like. Um, I just, you know, maybe it's easy for me to say because I was in many ways, you know, privileged, but like, it's just not that hard to get started at shit if you're really like serious about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I should stop making the excuse of privilege because I've put a fuckload of work into what I do mm-hmm. and clearly I'm not living in the Taj Mahal here, but you know, it's, it's just, I think it's so much easier than people maybe give it credit for. If you have some kind of idea, like, what the fuck, right? Try it out. Like, yeah. you know, I'm sure when you were doing music, you didn't overanalyze it. You you just got after it, right? So. Yeah. yeah. Which I still do music, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, I haven't been doing much out live in the last year. Um, would, would you say, like, the lyric, the lyrics led to the music more than not? or Yeah, for me. Yeah. Yeah, almost everything starts with, with the story or the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. As we chase rabbits, which is fun to do. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, why can't people vibe sometimes? Mm-hmm. Or why don't people have maybe a wider range of friends or social set? 
uh, as far as people's like ideologies or whatever, whatever. Um, I could go like fairly deep into that, I think on a theological level, but to stew it down to, I think some of the most integral nuts and bolts, mm-hmm. um, I think it's rare that a person holds their beliefs, their sense of ethics, um, their code, you know, however you want to describe kind of their moral, intellectual, uh, political, whatever, theological sensibilities, uh, with due gravity and epistemological humility. Um, so that's, that's one component. Two, I think that generally speaking, with obviously there are exceptions, um, people very much want to live in an echo chamber and receive validation for their own choices and require that. That's something I saw a lot in ministry and in church mm-hmm. was it's a very fuzzy line between let me be evangelical to change your mind because this is actually good for you and I want you to believe what I believe because it makes me feel good when other people believe what I believe. Um, there is a very subtle payoff to that that sometimes creeps into what would otherwise be like the loftier uh, purposes, you know, like the more like converting purposes, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, wanting to live in an echo chamber, um, not thinking very often that like, wow, I actually could be wrong in whole or in part about what it is that I think. Mm-hmm. Um, now the more you've examined that and tested that, the probability of that goes down, but I don't know that it's ever 0%, you know? Um, so I think just, you know, uh, intellectual and epistemological humility helps. Um, can you define epistemological humility for us? So epistemology, like that being like the study of how you, uh, can prove or test what is true or not true. Um, in essence, how does a person or a person say who's a scientist or whatever, but in more general terms, what method do you use to decide what is either good, bad, or true, not true, or ethical, Mm -hmm. unethical? Um, how do you arrive there? Mm -hmm. What do you test your ideas or your facts? You know, all of these things, what do you test them with? How do you test them? Um, and many people tend to, uh, like, for example, one of the largest predictors of what a person will end up as theologically is their geography. What are most other people around them? Right. Okay. So, you know, what did grandma believe? That's what I believe kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's definitely, uh, like, a utility to that as far as keeping a society, like, balanced or putting, like, ballast in the ship mm-hmm. of a culture Mm-hmm. Um, to where things don't change too quickly or whatever, you know, and create an unrest. Uh, I guess if you're looking from the top down. Um, but, uh, but you know. Well, I think it appeals to our biological need for community. Yeah. You know, tribe. Just being with people that think like you do mm-hmm. in, in some way, at least. Sure. You know, or most ways, shall we say. Yeah. But 
so having humility in what you know and and having so I like I like this you know I've heard the term of epistem, epistemology mm-hmm. before never really gave it a lot of thought but you know it's like it reminds me of a conversation I had the other day with somebody I was kind of telling them about, about how how weird it is that I like seem to respect um, Russell Brand more than about anybody right now mm, yeah sure um, <laughs> You know, I would have never thought that was coming, but whatever. He, you know, he seems to know what he's talking about. But that's the thing; he knows he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's why I like Joe Rogan too. It's not that he knows what he's talking about, but he's willing to tease out the truth through a process. You can see it in almost all of his content that he's really not trying to answer the question; he's asking it mm-hmm. in detail. Like, and okay, so I I, I agree that you need that humility. Just in terms of engaging in conversation with, say, someone you don't know, that perhaps you might be wrong about some things, you know, I agree. I agree. Not enough people perhaps have that. So you said that was number one, epistemological humility. What was number two again? Um, if you can. So this is getting great. Yeah. So, I, I mean, without, I mean, that might be number one. Um, it's definitely one of the most important things uh-huh. um, as far as where, where does a person get their ideas from? Yeah. Uh, and how do they arrive at what they think is true or false in the most general sense of the word? Um, and then our kind of, if you want to maybe classify it as like a selfish need to be in an echo chamber because it feels good to feel right. So the more people you have around you saying, oh yeah, you're right. Oh yeah. That thing that you said, mm-hmm. you know, it's like your hype, your hype man, you know, that's your posse. That's your yeah, entourage. Yeah. Your yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I mean, we evolved with tribe you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's still a powerful thing. But I think a question is like, what's the linchpin of the tribe? Is it, um, is it like one thing that has to do with like, we're ideologically possessed on this one very sharp line? Because if that's what brought us together, I could reflect on many groups that I've seen, right, left, center. That will be what the fuck tears you apart mm. eventually will be that sharp line if that's what brought you together. Um, but if the core linchpin is a love for your fellow man, a love for humanity, if, if that's the linchpin, like in essence, if I say, who can be in my tribe? Is it people who fall on this line politically? Or if we all take the political quadrant test, we all plot in the same quadrant. You know, mm-hmm. is that the thing? Because mm-hmm. someone could plot right next to me in the ideological sense and be a fucking dickhead. And you hate the yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, right? I've I've had that experience. Yeah. Guy wants to chat you up about shit that you're into, but sure. you're like, dude, I am so not into talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Or they're cool to you, and they treat other people. Yeah, well, shitty, yeah, for whatever you know? reason, for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah, um, yeah. But on the other hand, you could have a person who's very divergent on paper from you, on like the jots and tittles of what do you think about the current president, the last president, like whatever the fuck it is. But they think if I, for example, if I have a buddy who's broke down on the side of the road, Mm -hmm. I'm not being a good buddy unless I go pick him, her, them up. And they're not being a good buddy if I break down 15 miles away and they won't come help me. Regardless of if we're on different sides of the aisle politically, Mm -hmm. religiously, whatever, the linchpin is how we believe in treating people that are in our lives that we care about. Yeah. So I think it's like, 
what what is the most important thing if you take all the other shit away yeah. if you burned it all what would last through the fire what are our core values yeah right? very core values and and are our core values like shared beliefs mm-hmm. or shared shared um principles right sure like i i, I think that's what i'm hearing coming mm-hmm. through from what you're saying and <clears throat> god you got a way with words brother i can see why you're a writer yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to reading this fucking book of yours. I can say that much. I'm just gonna say it real quick. Low shelf angels. Yeah. Luke Austin Daughtry. That's fucking dude, it's true though. It's so true. It's so true. And cause I, I can see shared values everywhere. It's mm-hmm. like a lot of people have the wrong idea of like certain I, again, I, I see so much misunderstanding everywhere. Um, but like after hanging out with some of these folks that sort of live in the country, shall we say, mm-hmm. you know, and all of the stereotypes are like total bullshit. Basically, these are intelligent people, you know, that that they might you'd, you'd think they're a Trumper, but it's kind of like it's more complex than that. Right. And you might think they're racist, but it's like it's more complex than that. You know, it, it, just because somebody says something out of line, you can't just label them for the rest of their life. And I think we, if we can't see that our shared values are still there and still pretty strong, like, you know, the, I, I suppose, what what are the basics? Let's not, you know, let's not kill each other, number one. But, mm-hmm. like, I guess I'm kind of losing myself here. But I'm just trying to say, I suppose, that I, I think what you're what you're getting at is strong, like, that humility is, is, is probably something that gets lost mm-hmm. most often. And it's because it's because of the influence around us all the time. There's not a lot of celebration of humility, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think, uh, in an age, I mean, myself having been, if you want to say in several places across the entirety of my life thus far, um, like theologically or, in some ways, politically, um, I mean, these are very easy magisteria to like talk about divisiveness, right? Yeah. Religion, politics, blah blah blah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so it's it's just easy to mention. But I think when you have changed your mind on things several times, mm. um, maybe when that happened the first time, it didn't really stick out, or maybe the second time. But when that's happened a few times, then you start to say, well, like. Maybe the place I am right now, uh, hopefully it's it's more right uh, or less wrong than wherever I was before. Mm. But maybe I'm still not at my ultimate form. Sure. And I hope I'm not. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And so when a person I think has gone through some of those growth periods, transformations, plateaus, then the next growth, whatever, you know, you learn to appreciate that other people in their lives are in theirs as well. Mm-hmm. And if they're good people, if they're kind, if they don't want to do harm to other people, if they don't want to limit other people's freedom, so far as, you know, the classic, you know, swing your arms as long as you're not hitting me in the face kind of thing. Right. Um, then you can find a lot of common ground to at the very least have discussion. Mm-hmm. And as far as like you mentioning like Joe Rogan or Russell Brand or any of these people, um, I think one of the, uh, or for, I mean, multiple people pop into my head, 
um, that I've appreciated over the years. Both of them, uh, um, Cornell West, uh, although it's a little bit, you know, like it might seem cliche because it's on TV, but like Bill Maher, you know, some of these people who will have folks who could be considered firebrands on, you know, this side or that side, and they have a conversation. It's not about like, you're not allowed to have a microphone because you disagree with me. Mm-hmm. If ideas are tested and they're tested well, the cream of ideas should rise to the top. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be afraid of testing ideas. Um, silencing people, keeping them from being able to speak is a very, very dangerous thing, whether that be in a small community, in a family, in a state, in a country, you know? Um, Because if people know how to test ideas for truth, falsity, goodness, badness, whatever you want to say, um, then, you know, we don't have to duct tape fools. Mm -hmm. We don't have to duct tape the mouths of people who are wrong. We don't have to somehow take well, they, their civil they, rights they, away. People, people label themselves at, at a certain point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If and you let them, if you let them, if you let them speak, people will tell you exactly what you need to know about yes, them. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and sometimes that's the greatest thing right there. It's not silencing. It's like, let them make, like, let them fucking talk. Yeah. You know, yeah, let yeah. them make an ass of themselves. Well, and just speaking personally, like you don't have to be right all the time, Mm-mm. you know? You don't have to be. And it, 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 it makes me think of this notion of like how careful you should be with your words, right? Because that's, that's a balance like anything else. And I'm very interested in balance in all things. And you seem like a guy that chooses your words with care, but not too much care, right? Yeah. Especially when you catch the thought and the thought starts coming out, right? It just flows, right? I'm also very interested in flow, but I'm not going to go down there. At the moment, just I'm saying basically that you can be over careful, right, mm-hmm. about what you say, but you do need to be careful. Just for example, like I had my friend uh, first interview for this podcast, right, and we're telling some stories that involve some real fucking people in our lives, right, mm-hmm. and in hindsight, I'm thinking I'm going to pull that episode and do a little editing and bleep some names out mm-hmm. just to be extra careful, right? Sure. Because you need to respect people's privacy and you don't want to be, even if it's all true, you just don't, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to degrade any, anybody Mm -hmm. in any way with your words. But if you're too careful, you won't say a whole lot of anything, right? Yes. (laughs) So this idea of censorship, self-censorship, like I think there is no place for fucking outside censorship. Yes. on us but yeah. we do need to censor ourselves to some extent yeah there's there's a massive difference between top-down censorship and being told you can't say that from the police the government you know whatever you know whatever the situation is right um and saying hey i don't want to hurt a person i care about so i'm going to choose my words carefully mm-hmm. um and so I think to your point of like not being too careful, you know, exploration comes on the frontiers. Discovery comes on the frontiers. So in the realm of ideas, we have to kind of be able to speak on the edges of things to make new realizations, to make progress, 
you know, we, we have to be able to dance around the edges of the thing. Just like if you've, you know, if uh, pioneers have explored whatever territory and there's the wild, you know, you have to machete your way into it mm-hmm. to find new territory. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, expo- I mean, you could use whatever kind of like explorer metaphor. Sure. Um, and uh, but you have to trod where there isn't a trail yet. Well, and I kind of like you know? the machete metaphor, actually, because uh, you, from outward appearance, it might look like wielding a machete is pretty careless. But mm-hmm. if you're careless with a machete, that's a recipe for, a, you know, I don't know, losing a foot or something, basically. Yeah. Like those are serious fucking things. And you got to know what you're doing. There's technique involved, but you have to wield it with with. Mm-hmm with strength and and certainty mm-hmm. you know i think words are very much the same way right who wants to listen to somebody that's uncertain of what they're trying to say sure right so i i i i guess i'm just admiring your way with words right now you know because you do you got a forceful voice and your your ideas are clearly complex and i'm i'm following you i hope everybody else is but i i recommend like i'm probably gonna have to listen to this thing a few times over to catch everything you you've just said um, I can see why you would need to put pen to paper, you know, I kind of feel like we're probably similar in that it's just all up in there and it's got to come out. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and then another thing that came to mind when you were mm-hmm. speaking as far as you don't have to be right about everything, a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. Um, you also don't have to have an opinion on everything. True. You know, like reserving judgment in this day and age, I consider a virtue because things, new situations are coming at us at the speed of the internet, Mm. you know? And when you think about, and and this is something I've thought a great deal about, like go back a hundred years, 200 years, whatever a person could live or could be born, could live and die in a community and rarely ever have like a new idea Mm. that they have to consider, is this right or wrong? Like some revolutionary idea to their faith or to their sensibilities on ethics in maybe their entire lifetime. Yeah. Because their culture is so homogenous that, you know, they they could go years and never have to have some thought that could like be a fucking like mind blowing thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, in our present day and age, any moment you decide to jump on social media or the internet, you could be confronted with some news story, probably shabbily written, Mm -hmm. uh, some situation, some tragedy, some event that like all of a sudden everyone seems to have an opinion on and you need to have an opinion on it too. With limited data, there's nothing and it's like maybe smoking a certain amount of cigarettes a day. It's a discipline to be able to say... Uh, not only am I not wrong, am I not right necessarily, I don't even have a fucking opinion on this at this point. I would need more data. I would need more to even be able to form an opinion that even could have the privilege of being right or wrong. Right. You know, I just don't know. And everything... So this uh, this is very paraphrased and probably shabbily remembered, Uh, but there's one particular uh, poem that I read... um, by uh, Charles Bukowski years ago, which was written many years before that, where he was in a certain setting and there was something in the newspaper about some tragedy that had happened in another country where people had been killed in some kind of tragic event. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the circumstances. Mm -hmm. But 
people around him were discussing like how horrible this was and were very, you know, like incensed about it. And he wasn't really too disturbed one way or the other. And they were like, why aren't you more wound up? And he was like, if I were there, Mm. I would be. Mm -hmm. But like, there's maybe, and I'm I'm interjecting this myself, there's maybe 10,000 of those that happen around the world any given day. You know, it's like, being present where you are and trying to, if, if righteousness matters, say whatever that would be defined as one person versus the other. Uh, I would say being righteous where you are practically Mm. like feeding the hungry person who's in front of you, a sandwich Mm -hmm. is more virtuous than caring about someone 10,000 miles away that you're not doing shit for. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, and, and this is maybe a goofy axiom. I am loosely, I, I do generally vote. I am for voting. Okay. But I think that going down, if you live around here, going to Indianapolis, going up to one person who's hungry and saying, come to the steak and shake on the corner. Everyone who's from Indianapolis knows where the steak and shake is across <laughs> from the mall. Yeah. Come eat lunch with me. At that steak and shake, if you're hungry, you have done more for America than every fucking vote you will cast in your lifetime. Amen. Go ahead and vote. Yeah. But do that too. Do that too. Yeah. yeah. I've been thinking about bringing all the gear out to the dugout. Mm-hmm. I hang out at the dugout quite a bit and made some friends there. It's a cool little bar. People of all you know walks of life coming mm-hmm. through there. And and uh, I've thought about just setting up on a table out of the sidewalk and like, God knows what kind of people you might, you know, and... Uh, you see so many characters. Mm-hmm. I, I like indie because it's especially the Fountain Square area. Yeah. Um, it's full of characters, man. Yeah. And uh, huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree that you really do. It's what you do. It's what you do in your community. It's what you do. You know, in the ten feet around you that really fucking matters, right? Um, which is ironic on a podcast because we're like trying to get this blasted out everywhere but that's the message i'm trying to share in general is like we need to get going we need to get get active get you know and that that goes in a lot of directions but like number one we need to get healthy for our own sake number two we need to we need to improve the health of our immediate communities clearly it's in it's in shambles right and even the nice communities there's no it, it, it's it's oh my god it's like so upside down where in the poorest of communities you have actual community mm-hmm. and in the richest you don't you know yeah there's a certain detachment it, well when people need each other less mm-hmm. at least they think they need each other less yeah you know um, have you ever heard on each other as much i'm assuming you've never read any like deep ecology stuff any of the deep ecology writings i might send you home with some books here but there's this concept um you know so ecology obviously we've all heard that term it's the study of ecosystems totally legitimate science there was this select group of thinkers and scientists back in starting i don't know the 70s something maybe the 60s that started calling themselves the deep ecologists or the deep ecology movement and their kind of prime idea was radical interconnectedness and interdependence. Okay, so not only are we interconnected, people know the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. yada, 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 but we're interdependent. 
doesn't matter how fucking rich you are, right? Mm -hmm. If everybody else, I always like the show uh, Last Man on Earth, because it's like if everybody else is gone, you know, and you have everything at your disposal, like you got all the cars you could ever dream of, you got, you can live in any house you want on the entire fucking planet, but you're still just a sad, lonely person, right? <laughs> it's all about the importance of community, and and I think our American culture is is a strong culture in a lot of ways. We were talking about this, me and the strange man I met at the bar and interviewed a few nights ago, talking about how there's this powerful American culture that really it, it permeates everybody now across the globe. So you can kind of get into a conversation with anybody. You can relate to anybody at this point. And yet, that's not enough, right? Mm -hmm. Shared culture is not enough. We need something a little deeper. You know, some would say like religion or faith or something. And I, I, I kind of agree. Like we need something on that level that ties us together. And I don't know what it is exactly. Um, I, I preach a lot about permaculture, you know, because going back to the deep ecology thing, it actually kind of directly fed into this movement of permaculture. Now, how familiar with that term are you? Are you at all? I'm familiar with the term. Okay. But I how long would you say you've had that term like in your lexicon? Um, I mean, I'm just curious because of a few friends mm -hmm. that are into similar things as yourself. Mm -hmm. I've very uh, indirectly heard conversations and posts and things about ecological things and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so sort of in passing, but but I've not, it's not something I'm immersed in at all. Again, it's an interesting like school of thought. And I'm very interested in, in its practical implications. As a pragmatist, like, what does it mean in the real world? And what per permaculture is basically a design science. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you boil it down, people kind of do a bad job describing it because it's a big idea. Uh, but it's a design science for landscapes is kind of where it started. But it quickly was realized that this kind of applies to communities. It applies to, um, you know... Basically, you can apply it to any living system, right? It's a systems-based design science. Excuse me. Now, is it more but, is it more like functional or aesthetic? Functional. Okay. But aesthetics are by all means a a, a, a large um, side effect, mm -hmm. right? If you design for function, you find fashion along the way. Sure. I've, I've found that a thousand times to be true in my work. Mm -hmm. You know, you design it because it needs to fit in this amount of space and it needs to adhere to these certain like rules. And before you know it, it's beautiful too as a result, mm -hmm. right? I think that happens. But permaculture, it's, it began, began being known by like uh, as, a, as a conjunction of permanent agriculture and they decided to drop the ag. Right. Mm -hmm. Permanent culture. Okay. Which is, is the goal, right? That is the goal. We need a permanent culture. And I think we'll all agree that the, the culture we're living in right now is pretty flimsy in a lot of regards. We're at each other's throats over a lot of shit that really doesn't matter if you're able to step away from it. And so again, taking it back to shared values, like that's why I'm so preachy you know I'll, I'll, I, we might be going towards I'm curious about your experience in the church because I'm such a preacher these days mm -hmm. about permaculture and I can't help myself so what was your experience with the church you said you were a pastor is that correct a I young would, a young pastor I was an associate pastor for a while okay. yeah um, well 
one thing off a of thought Go ahead. That, that you were talking about as far as like um, things that bind us and so forth. I mm. think that, and this would lend itself to the question that you're asking, um, we find something meaningful, obviously in community. Well, what's something that helps facilitate that? Because no matter how, say, like, tight our tribe is on certain things mm-hmm. s- any of us are always going to have some ideas even if they're on smaller topics that are in conflict with the other well, sure you know so what because uh, I, I think in anything that you're you're thinking about or you're studying or you know exploring if you can break it down kind of to like the most nuts and bolts Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the most simple parts, mm-hmm. and then you can get into more complexity, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but something transcendent mm-hmm. has to bind us that is reckoned to be of more value than kind of the individual parts. So, like, for example, mm-hmm. if you and I are buddies, which we are, yeah. at some point, the more we, like, hang out and whatever, or talk, or... Instagram story. (laughs) We're not only going to find the things that are very common, which I think we found a lot that first time we met, Mm -hmm. but then we're going to find things that we either are not on the same place or we disagree. So then what, as we focus on some of that, like minutia of disagreement or divergence, what would keep us buddies? Mm -hmm. There had to be, there would have to be something that is transcending those lesser important things that is of more importance. Right. So to find the transcendent, which is a very low ball throw for religion because it's prepackaged, mm-hmm. um, it's already there and built in. You don't have to work for it. Someone hands you the book or hands you the method or hands you the belief, and it's like it's already there for you. You don't have to discover it. You only have to believe it. It's not a lot of work, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, ideologically speaking. Yeah. Well... But even if you get into, say, uh, like, say you have another buddy who I don't know, that the nexus of your relationship is like permaculture type stuff. Sure. Well, his ideas or her or their ideas on something to do that's important within the scope of permaculture may deviate from yours. That could be a sticking point that would push you apart if there's not some other thing that's more transcendent, that pulls you together. In essence, if there's a greater force than the weak force Mm -hmm. that's pushing you apart, that's pulling you together, then you'll stay buddies, Yeah. right? So like, if you say, okay, there's these finer points of permaculture, and then let's say there are 10 of those for some arbitrary... There's 12 principles. Okay, 12. All right, I wasn't far. So there's 12, (laughs) and let's say you disagree on two. No, there... Well... Okay, for argument's for sake. For argument's sake, for argument's sake, right? I'm, there I'm, is no disagreeing okay. with the principles. All right. I'm a layman, or, or an interpretation. They're very nuts and bolts and practical, so it's hard to disagree. But I get, go keep, go on. Well, then yeah. let's say their order of importance. Sure. Okay, so you and your friend disagree on the order of importance of these principles. Mm-hmm. That, if, if the order of the principles is the most important thing about your friendship, you will not be friends any longer. Mm -hmm. 
But if there's something more transcendent, which is regardless of the finer points of permaculture, the spirit of permaculture is a more healthy planet and a more healthy humanity. Right. That's your transcendent point. Yes, that's deep ecology to me. So I like the way you framed it because it's almost like, if, say, if permaculture is the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. that's an easy like connection to sure. draw. If permaculture is our Ten Commandments, it's the nuts and bolts of how we get along on this planet, right? Mm-hmm. And I like that connection because it makes a lot of fucking sense. Very practical advice for getting along, mm-hmm. right? And then... I think that the deep ecology writings, which I've only begun to dive into, frankly, um, are sort of the the Old Testament Bible, mm-hmm. right? All right. And basically, I'll, if you can boil deep ecology down to, I already did it. It's the idea of interconnectedness and interdependence. That's the core element. And I almost think that's all as complex as the thought needs to be that people connect on right mm-hmm. the idea that we are interdependent and interconnected we connect on the fact that we're fucking connected right can i ask a question go ahead just for myself so as far as when you say we are interconnected do you mean we as a human species relative to the rest of the animal and plant kingdom all of this is interconnected all of the above okay yeah. each other right. the rocks the wind the trees the breeze the i, I just <laughs> want to make sure i was on the same page yeah 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 Interconnected with everything, um, you know, every atom, you know, they, do you know anything about like the quantum, um, what do they call it? Entanglement. Mm-hmm. You heard about that where basically you can manipulate an atom sure. over here and for God knows what reason instantaneously one over here yeah. reacts. Yeah. You know, that's interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. That's, we don't need to fucking understand why that happens. We'll probably never fucking yeah. understand why that happens because it's beyond us. We're not, we're, we're still just apes. We're just primates. Obviously, we think about things a little more deeply than most, but I I think that you can't really boil it down much more than that. I like the deep ecology teachings because they're very they're very uh, anarchistic. Frankly, they they don't say this is the form of government. This is da 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 da. It says okay, our planet is a radically radically complex living system. Our bodies are radically complex living systems. We are nothing more than sort of appendages of this greater living ecosystem, this greater living organism that they call Gaia. You ever heard people refer to Earth as Gaia? Sure. You know, I, I don't know where that goes back to, but I always like the word. You know, Earth doesn't roll off the tongue, but Gaia sure does, you know? <laughs> uh, but I'm losing it. I'm losing it, y'all. But basically, like that concept that that ecosystems cannot be understood fully as a system. They are so radically interconnected. We might as well kind of give up the idea of, like you say, knowing for certain mm-hmm. or, you know, Gnosticism versus agnosticism. Deep ecology is kind of an agnostic system, uh, system of thinking where we admit to being sort of we, we, we are humbled by nature, right? Sure. It's it's almost where science and spirituality intersected in like the 70s. And I think, I think it was a big moment for humanity and we didn't really recognize it as such. But I, I'm trying to right now, I suppose. Yeah. Well, something that you said as far as not completely understanding something, uh, but 
I'm paraphrasing, like that doesn't necessarily disallow it. I think uh, a good way of kind of addressing that is the isness of something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there are certain things that whether you understand them or not, there is an isness to it. Yes. You know, um, you don't have to know why, but yeah. it, it is. Yeah. yeah. For example, maybe kind of a goofy analogy would be like if you were trekking through the desert and it's all flat and sand and tumble blowing and in the middle of an otherwise flat landscape there's one massive boulder it's like how did it get there was it erosion was it a storm was it blown here by a tornado like did someone haul it out here in a truck i don't know but it is it is here mm-hmm. that's the basis you know? of all of geology geology is a pretty cool science because it's very much <laughs> theory based and there is no firm knowledge necessarily except what is (laughs) you know we can see the rocks we can see that they are here how they got here is the question and i've always been kind of fascinated with geology and the idea of the boulders in the desert it's a funny analogy because i've seen that there are these mysterious black boulders in the area of utah that i lived that apparently traveled uphill right or something of that nature. I'm no geologist. You know, I know that the slope of the landscape can change over time, but I know that it, it puzzles geologists mm-hmm. to this day. They were over there. Now they're over here. What the fuck happened? Was it a giant flood? Was it... Who knows? Was it an impact of some kind? I don't know. But they, they have a hard time explaining certain things. Even our... We, we, I see this like this vehement sort of worship of science anymore, right? People are very like, you must be with the science, whatever the fuck that means these days. The truth is, any good scientist is a very humble individual that admits we, we know this much when there's way, way more, you know? <sighs> Not sure. Not sure even what to say after that, but you were a preacher, huh? Can we ask about that? Yeah. Um, so, uh, when I was, uh, I would say from in in the majority of my teenage years, I was very much, uh, so I was, I grew up in Greenwood and yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, surrounded by cornfields. Now there are a lot of, uh, you know, subdivisions and all this kind of stuff, but I grew up in a ranch home surrounded by cornfields uh, had a ranch uh, or, a, or a horse stable down the road. I shoveled shit there. Um, but then I also worked at a country club in Indianapolis. So I've always kind of had this like dichotomy in life, you know, been city, around country, city, city, country, country yeah. you know, like travel, local, mm-hmm. you know, being around the rich, being around the poor. Um, and that's taught me a lot of things. It's given me an appreciation for a lot of things. And, uh, but for whatever conglomeration of reasons, I got very much into. Eastern spirituality, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, even, you know, Greek mythology and kind of like, uh, you know, Greek and Roman philosophy and, and just a kind of a, uh, a very eclectic study of philosophy and religion, but still surrounded by a very Judeo-Christian frame, mm-hmm. you know, that I wasn't like divorced from culturally mm-hmm. i mean i was in the midst of it but you started dabbling in other things yeah, yeah. and that in you know in the late 80s early 90s was not really a thing for my area sure i didn't have a lot of friends to talk to about it but 
and you didn't have the internet then. Yeah. You know, uh, so you know it was like going to bookstores, half price books, the library, mm-hmm. and getting, you know, the Eightfold Path of Buddha or the Tao or you know, uh, you know, writings of Aristotle, whatever it is. Sure. And but still, you know, you had the Bible on the shelf, kind of you know, literal and figurative presence in your life. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I, I learned a lot, studied a lot. Um, but I, I would say to a great degree, geography and culture being one of the greatest predictive factors. Um, I had a lot more, uh, Christian influence than I did anything else combined. Sure. Um, and examining to the extent that I knew things in the Bible when I was 17, I became a believer, um, very sincerely, very fervently. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I graduated high school, went to college for a semester, I was kind of burnt out on, uh, you know, institutional learning at that point. Yeah. And then I went to live at the Grand Canyon and Is that right? uh, yeah, worked out so there. So you spent your time in the desert too, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> well, it was, it was a little more like, uh, you know, it, it was on the Southern, um, so the Southern South, rim, south so, rim. Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty, I've heard it's a party on the South rim. I mean, you know, I was being a good boy, so I only partied so much. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, at that time. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, you know, it was an amazing time. Came back um, and got into a, what was a Baptist church at that time, mm-hmm. because a friend of mine went there. Mm-hmm. And ended up, uh, as young, fervent people who are interested in ministry tend to be, given responsibilities and propelled into ministry by crusty or old tired ministers who are happy to, you know, give you opportunities and responsibilities. Yeah. They're trying to, they're trying to retire. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, you need that, uh, that young fervency. You need the young blood. Yeah, you do. You do. I, I, I grew up in the church and I, like you, I was a fervent believer. Mm -hmm. I was, I, yeah, you know, I was baptized three times. Twice of them were my my idea. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and and so I mean I was and I was happy for the opportunities. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually lived for a while in a little apartment at church for a good span of time before I got married. Uh-huh. Um, and I did public evangelism. Mm-hmm. And when I'm when I say public, I don't mean like, you know, within the context of church functions off Sunday. I mean street preaching in Indianapolis. No kidding. Going to homeless shelters. Wow. You know, wow. you know, doing like uh I still have in storage a twelve foot cross that I would carry on my shoulder and walk around and tell people I think you know, I remember the, seeing the you. good news yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, years ago. And wow. wow. So I don't regret any of that time. I learned a ton. I still have some friends from that. Mm-hmm. Um and you know I don't I don't believe many of the things that I used to believe, mm-hmm. long and short of it. Yeah. Um, when I was in my early, early-ish, getting toward mid-30s, um, I changed my mind on a lot of things. Sure. Um, after examining them, you know, and uh, a very... So there was an album I, I put out right at that time called Half-Life mm-hmm. um, because I had been working on the next album Uh and I was 34. I became a believer at 17. Mm-hmm. And in the course of my 34th year, I changed my mind on a lot of things. 
with intentional examination. Yeah. You know? Uh, and it was difficult and my entire friend base was built around my faith and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so it was terrifying to co- contemplate leaving that mm-hmm. being maybe judged, turn, you know, people turn away and all this kind of well, stuff. Well, not even, I mean, yeah, you, I'm sure you're concerned about all of those things, sure. but just the yeah. simple fact of like, you are extracting yourself from your own community by choice, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's not not turning your back ways. on people in personal relationships. No, but it is an it, it is a conscious group. conscious yeah. decision to walk away from the group. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and my music, bear in mind, even though I was a believer, was not like preachy music per se. I mean, I wrote you know some hymns and stuff like that. Sure. But I played out all over Indiana. The, I still love know, some of that old Central, like. You know, Christian ish rock, yeah, you know, sure. there was a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, I, I grew yeah. up on like Haste the Day. You, you, you might have known some of those guys. Yeah. Uh, um, I've, I've played with a lot of folks that were in, and, and the thing is, you know, you have a lot of great. I mean, there, there are obviously like the musicians and singers who started in the church, yeah, yeah, who yeah. like went out, yeah, and played but, some but like rock and roll, yeah, right? But there's yeah, the opposite, yeah. there are the people who were like hell, you know, quote, hellbound rockers or yeah. whatever, who. Are converted, right? converted, and yeah. then they brought that skill set into the church, right? You know, and right. I've been around kind of like both, both types, you know. Both, yeah. Um, so my music had definitely, I mean, anything that I write, whether it be poetry, a book, an article, whatever, mm-hmm. is informed by what I think and believe, yeah. you know. So it's in there, yeah. Um, and it was when I was a believer, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like preachy music. It was like story songs that sure. had elements of faith in there. Sure. Um, so. I had actually recorded almost half of an album right at this tipping point Mm. of changing my mind on things. I was like, what does a person do Mm. who was a Christian Mm -hmm. halfway through an album? Yeah. And like, there are these songs that I wrote as, I mean, not Christian songs, but I was a believer when I wrote them. You wrote them as a Christian. And I'm not anymore. And now I'm writing new songs because I'm going through this difficult, scary, transformative time in my life. Sure. And I was like, as an artist, I feel like I would do some amount of violence by not capturing this. Mm. So that album functionally has an A side and a B side. Like you'd be killing the art by not recording it. Yeah. Is that yeah, what you're like saying? I'm, by doing violence? Yeah. Like I'm not doing, I'm not being faithful to this moment in to, my yeah, life. Yeah. That is such a rare moment to not record it for what it is. Mm. So, I uh, so in studio, half of the albums I think out of, or I'm sorry, half the album, half the songs out of I think twelve songs, because this is like 2012, um, were songs I wrote when I was a believer. Mm-hmm. The other half were songs I wrote after I was not a believer anymore. And how's I put them on the same album. How's that for A-side and B-side? Yeah. And yeah. I called it Half-Life because I had yeah. been a believer for 17 of my 34 years. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I felt like I would have been doing some kind of harm to myself and that season of my life by not recording it honestly and comprehensively. So that brings me to a topic I kind of wanted to get into with you. That was, it was really about the only topic, in fact, but... This idea of how personal writing can be, right? Uh-huh. You're just just letting people write in, right? Yeah. And I don't know. How do you handle that? How do you, or what do you think about it, or any of it? Um, it's very personal, yeah. Yeah, I think any you're a personal. I've read enough of your stuff that I just I can make that conclusion. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. I think any writer, you, 
I mean, it's one thing, say, for instance, if you're a writer who writes like, you know, uh, editorials in the paper, or you write political writing or whatever. I mean, certain things are only going to have so much room for your own personal life. Mm -hmm. But if whatever you write does tread upon the ground of your personal life, you have to decide how deep am I going to go with this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like... Um, it, and, and so, statistically speaking, it is highly unlike. I mean, there are, there have been seasons of my life, and there may be again where like a good portion of what I earn, if money is mattering in this conversation, say, uh, comes from <clears throat> playing music or mm -hmm. books being published or any of that. It might be the majority. At some point, it could be all. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then at other times, it's been a much smaller percentage. So that that kind of out of the equation, you have to say to yourself, like, if I'm going to write something that maybe a grandchild of mine will read, mm -hmm. or a person who is living and breathing 50 years after I took my last breath, mm -hmm. okay, I ask myself, at some of the hardest moments in my life, at some of the most transformative, positive moments of my life, I was reading things that other people wrote who are not breathing anymore. Mm -hmm. If they had held back, right. would that have touched me in that important, integral moment in my life like it did mm -hmm. if they held back? That's, ex that's exactly what I keep coming back to myself is sort of these authors that I admire. You can see them behind me right here. Sure. Abby jumped out at me. Yeah. yeah. Have you read much? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, he's he's quite a cat. Um, you know, they're just these people that you can tell in their words that there's just no filter, mm -hmm. you know. Not to say there's no filter, but there's... If there is one, it's not, it's not to protect themselves. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess that can be fire you know you're playing with fire a little bit you got to guard yourself to it yeah. you know to some extent just practically speaking and i think it's very different now too i hate to even say it this way but you know in edward abbey's day just for example he could write these books and he lived out in the desert around moab and you know frankly if you wanted to track him down you could but it wouldn't you'd have to talk to people to yeah. do it yeah put right? some effort in not so much these days, yeah. you know? You put yourself on the, on the line these days by being honest. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm not I'm not trying to like, I don't know, this is not me trying to pat myself on the back. In fact, it's me expressing my own deep fears of being too real, right? But the people I admire are the ones that are honest and the people sure. that talk about what they feel. And um, so I, I guess I could just read that from what, what I've read of yours that you don't seem to have much filter on your words i like the some of it's even kind of stream of consciousness your poetry and i i i've enjoyed it i have yeah i mean so one thing i guess going to the transcendent mm -hmm. that matters to me whether in my say former life as a minister a christian minister uh almost 10 years ago that stopped um or now is 
I want to enjoy my life. I want to have a, a good life mm-hmm. um, and to feel like I am plugged into my own moment, right? Mm-hmm. But in that interconnectedness that you're talking about relative to permaculture, and I am more tuned into in more of, say, like a humanistic sense. Sure. I also realize that my moment that is right now, or our moment that's right now, mm-hmm. somebody can listen to this podcast tomorrow mm-hmm. and it could impact them. But they could listen to it in 100 years and it could impact them. Mm-hmm. So in this conversation, if we're as real as we can be, as open as we can be, um, that might do somebody some good. That's my hope. That's, and, that's why we're doing it. Yeah. And if you've been done good, say, by another podcast, yeah. then you want to do good on your podcast. If I've been done good, well, whatever. Um, let's throw the grammar out the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually have a poem in that book called Good Grammar that's like, fuck good It's grammar. all fucked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like good grammar, or good poetry isn't always good grammar. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, rarely in fact it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, I feel good, James Brown. It's not grammatically correct, but I feel well is not nah, a very nah, 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 nah. Yeah. Um, so, as far as my stuff, you know, in any kind of like ethic that you will have, it will eventually be tested, you know? Um, and so I, this isn't something I've necessarily thought about in this frame before, but as in the realm of three cigarettes a day, so goes poetry. Mm. Um, and a little over a year ago, my firstborn son died. Mm. Um, the day that we picked up his ashes, I wanted to smoke a pack of cigarettes. I could only imagine. And I remember standing there in Las Vegas, uh, holding my son, who was, who because the doctor ran late, I caught when he was born. Mm. Uh, and he was now ashes. Mm. And I wanted to smoke a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I was battling with myself. Like, if, and, th- and this is what I arrived at. If the thing that you think matters when it's fucking easy does, then it should matter when it's fucking hard. Mm. So if this was my ethic yesterday, is this was if my ethic when he was breathing? Mm-hmm. If I had examined what I thought was the right thing, it should still matter on a day like this. And I only smoked three cigarettes that day. Okay, mm. this is how that pertains to poetry. Mm. After he passed away, I wrote all that shit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that'll be not in this book because this book doesn't cover that chronology, but two books out, The Zen of Chopped Onions, that's that. Hmm. Um, Because somebody will read my shit someday and it will just so happen that they'll read that poem the day they lost somebody. Hmm. And if I don't record it the way that it landed that day... Mm. or one of the other days when that shit landed on me, if I didn't put that down, mm-hmm. it won't matter to them. It won't help them. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. It's, I, it's why I, it's, it's what we talked about before, right? The say the word again, the, the umption, the unction, unction. Yeah. Thank you. It's like, if you don't get it down, it's going to be gone. You know, you're never going to think it again. I, I, I have that happen so so often where I, I got to pull over on the side of the road and write it, yeah. you know, because 
because I know if I just if I drive 20 more minutes, it's not going to be there, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, man. Like, I don't want to hold you, you know? I guess I, I'm enjoying myself. You know, I don't mean I'm not trying to rush you out or nothing, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, is there anything else, like, you want to talk about, you know? Well, something on what you just mentioned about having to pull over and write something down. Mm. If you're a writer, if you're a thinker, anyone who deals in the scope of thought, um, not in a violent way, but you better think of yourself as a gunslinger. Mm. An old-time gunslinger fucking went heels all the time because you never know when that person is going to draw on you and you've got to draw. And when you went to sleep, the gun was on the fucking side table. Right. If you're a writer, you never know when that thought's going to hit you. You better have paper, something, your cell phone, a note. Yeah. But in this day and age, I tell you, I have had ghosts in the machine take my digital shit from me. No shit. Time after time. Those motherfuckers. That's why I collect manual typewriters. <laughs> yeah. And I write, this is this year so far, there's uh-huh. about 90 poems in that. Well, you know, I... I got a I got a calligraphy fountain pen mm-hmm. gifted to me and a nice notebook and yeah. goddamn if it isn't just so pleasant to write with. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I I do a lot of notes in my phone too, and there's stuff going back a couple years. And if I don't get it out of the phone, it's gonna go away someday. Yeah. I know that. that yeah. Whether I just lose it, you know, drop the phone, whatever. Yeah. Accidentally delete it. I don't know. Yeah. But you know, has, that's not the right way to write. You're right. There has to be something analog to it. I yes. think um, even a laptop it, to me feels a little dirty. It feels a little mm-hmm. dirty to write on a laptop. I can't quite do it. Like I'd like to write a book. Mm-hmm. I would, and I'm trying to decide. Um, I don't know how to write it. I've never tried a typewriter, but that could be maybe cool. Yeah. That could be cool. I'll give you one if you need one. No shit. No shit. Give, yeah, that's that's cool, bro. I keep extras <laughs> just for this purpose to pass them around. Fuck yeah. That's that's my man. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. We got to ride soon too, man. We yeah. haven't ridden together. Thursday's bike night. Is that right? It's just gasoline alley yeah yeah up in the speedway or yep okay in speedway and where's it's, gasoline alley is that so if you just like i mean if you shot up like tibbs will that go to rockville uh I don't know. okay so say you take <laughs> tibbs north to rockville right and then take a right head east go down to gasoline alley take a left okay and you will see Talk about permaculture. You'll see fucking Indianapolis motorcycle permaculture. Dude, You'll I, see street I love bikes. I love English biker bikes. Per, biker culture is so cool, man. Be there Thursday. Yeah. It's not supposed to rain. Even if it does, I'm going. We're going. About what time? Uh, I think it's at five. I think it starts at five. Yeah. It'll go all night. Thursday. You said? Thursday. This uh-huh. Thursday. I got work to do, but I'm trying to be there. Uh, we'll be there. Man. So yeah, biker culture, right? Fucking. Yeah. Talk about raw, real motherfuckers. Nobody, nobody minces words on a motorcycle. No, you know, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a two wheel life, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all, y'all wear the helmets though. Yeah, yeah. Me yeah. too. Me too. Me too. I think uh, you know it's pretty smart too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No judgment. You know, I don't care if you don't, but like, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, everything starts on my noggin. I don't have money. I don't have a lot of things, yeah, but yeah, I got yeah. my brain. You, got, it, so, you know, you know. I guess you know, if I, I can, protect that. I tell you, if I can close with another thought, it's nowhere near what we've been talking about, but it's something that I've been considering, and it's sort of that I think we just overanalyze life these days in many regards that, you know, 
I always try to take it back to, to ancient man, right? Ancient man. What would it have been like? I'm pretty sure they were just a sack of cells wandering on the top of the freaking fuzzy thing we call planet Earth, you know? Like, if you can catch my drift, you're keeping your brain intact. What else do you fucking need, you know? So I think I think that's a good place to end. Uh, it's been really good, man. It's been really good. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, Brittany, good to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you too. Yeah, I didn't mess up the name, did I? No. Got it. Nailed it. Awesome. All right, y'all. Uh, this has been an easy peasy. I want to say episode seven, if I'm not mistaken. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Come back again. <laughs>